0: Welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and we are continuing our series on the attributes of God. We're in episode 13 of that series, and we are talking about the grace of God. And joining us today for the very first time on the Basic Bible Podcast is author Scotty Ward-Smith. Brother Smith, welcome to our podcast.
1: It's great to be with you, Kevin, very much. My privilege.
0: And uh, you're the pastor emeritus at Christ Community uh, Church. You're a teacher-in-residence in... I've
1: so in... and pastored that church in Franklin, Tennessee for 26 years, and now I serve as teacher-in-residence at one of our daughter churches, in okay. Community Church. Both so, of these uh, fellowships are part of the PCA.
0: So what does it mean to be a teacher-in-residence? That sounds uh, like an interesting title so to me. It
1: means I've got the best job in the country. Everybody <laughs> knows what it is. It's a wonderful job, Kevin, and it means I serve as a, an associate pastor in our daughter church, Uh, that we planted 20 years ago, and um, my primary focus, my primary responsibilities are to teach in our church family, also to be sent out from our church as adjunct faculty of several seminaries around the country, also in teaching missions, uh, equipping um, younger leaders, church planners. It's just a, a wonderful missional position that gives me primary focus on biblical theological training, and uh, context at home and abroad.
0: So I want to just mention to my pastor, if he's listening, Phil, that really sounds like a title I could do. And so if our church is looking for a teacher in residence, well, I, I'd like to I do that. I encourage you to do that, Kevin.
1: It's, it's a great position. Actually I actually have some of my colleagues and friends um, be very intrigued with the position that I've had now for just about six years, and um, it really is a good way for— associates that are more uh, teaching-oriented rather than pastoral gifts, or or like me, those that have served pastorally but are now uh, uh, in a position to spend more time focusing on uh, the sweet spot where we're most gifted.
0: And uh, you're the author of the Heavenward blog, which is uh, hosted at the Gospel Coalition website.
1: Yes, I've been writing daily for Gospel Coalition now for about nine years. I was one of the original council members, and consider it a real honor to write a daily prayer blog, uh, which is me taking a small portion of scripture and praying through it, wearing the lens of the gospel, and uh, never started that, assuming it would be either an international um, blog, or that it would eventuate in my writing two books, just out of a spiritual discipline of of, uh, really learning to pray the scriptures, that's where we are, and it's a part of my daily ministry.
0: All right. Well, we're talking about I, from, from reading your writings. I know this is is this a topic that is near and dear to your heart. We're talking about grace. We're talking again. We're going through the attributes of God. We're talking about the grace of God. We, how would you define what grace is?
1: Well, I think for both older believers and brand new believers, or those just those just beginning to explore the Christian faith, uh, it's kind of hard to prove upon this word acrostic by taking the word grace and use each of the letters, letters, G-R-A-C-E and and coming up with the sentence as a summary of what the grace of God is grace is God's riches at Christ's expense Mm. so God's grace is his uh, unmerited favor and love for us based upon a sacrifice that he himself as God made in sending Jesus to live in our place and to die in our place. So, uh, God's grace—it's uh, one of His attributes. It's one of the, of course, the primary expressions of the God of the Bible being a God who is committed to redeem His people and to restore uh, His cosmos one day through the finished work of Jesus.
0: And I want to quote uh, Pink here for just a second. He says it's—it's it's more than just the idea of, of uh, bestowing blessings, but he says that it's a favor of God to those who are not only have no power, uh, no positive deserts of their own, but also those who are thoroughly ill-deserving and hell-deserving. It is completely unmerited, unsought. It is altogether unattracted by anything in or from uh, objects upon which it is bestowed. So that just kind of picking apart that that acrostic, it, it's it's God's riches at Christ's expense. So it's nothing that we deserve or that somehow that we have, Worked up and are now receiving as a return on some, some investment that we've that uh, we've accomplished.
1: Now, well, well said, and I love that you are using uh, Pink's book because you know uh, A.W. Pink in that description he offered um, laid the foundation for why sometimes we refer now in light of God's grace to the love of God being confront conditional, not hmm. unconditional, but uh, in full view of our deserving the exact opposite yeah. of God's benevolence and favor, so against all conditions, because Christ met the conditions for us right. by His life of perfect obedience and by His death upon the cross, God loves us in full view of the fact that we deserve the exact opposite, and that's where the, of course, the great focus of God's grace being the theme of substitution that Jesus yeah. came into the world. Uh, primarily to be our substitute to trust before he became our model to follow
0: yeah and so sometimes we think about grace only in a positive aspect that god grants us special favor god gives us these great things but to to embrace a biblical doctrine of grace is a very humbling thing because i have to first see what makes god's grace so amazing and so great is that i am not amazing and i am Fully deserving of hell because of my sin and because of my rebellion against him. So it's it's, it's a really uh, humbling aspect that should not invoke any sort of pride, but incredible amounts of thanksgiving and and, and humility.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, truly, the people that I believe, Kevin, like you just said, I loved your phrase. I'm um, totally unamazing. That's wonderful. I'll I'll quote you one time on that. Then yeah. That one's mine. That's one. Sure. Uh, uh, my spiritual father of 21 years who was a professor at Westminster Seminary where I got my first theological degree, Jack Miller, he used to say this in terms of describing that. He would say, the gospel offers two cheer-ups. Cheer up, you're a lot worse off than you think you are. And cheer up, you're so much more known, loved, accepted, and delighted in. Both are true because the gospel's true. So absolutely, uh, nothing is more humbling than the gospel of God's grace. It's right. um, it, because it takes very seriously the demands of the law you know all forms of legalism always dumb down the demands of god's law making the law doable where right. in the gospel of god's grace we realize that god demands a perfection of us that he alone provides through the person and work of jesus so right yeah it is humbling in fact really the most reformed uh, people on the face of the earth Should be uh, reformed people or people that really understand God's sovereign grace, because uh, we don't have any claim on His mercy, and yet we receive His full favor and delight uh, based upon His uh, glorious generosity and His Hmm. commitment to um, save men and women just like us.
0: You know, it's funny because you know among us reformed guys, we have uh, things you know about uh, you know cage stage Calvinists. These are uh, start to embrace the doctrines of grace uh, and, and they get real almost uh, angry and uh, full of pride in that how can you be not believe this stuff but really if we take this to heart it's, it's the exact opposite that should uh, come into our lives a, a, a humbling wow I'm amazed that I would even be able to comprehend this it's a gift of grace that I can even have any sort of relationship with God it's amazing that I Uh, have this God-given gift of understanding
1: that is so well said Kevin and I could not agree more that there is no more humbling transforming or gladdening power in the history of the world than God's grace because it absolutely exposes the depth of our needs the way Tim Keller I guess it was said it years ago um That the gospel of God's grace reveals the fact that we were so needy. It took the life and death of the Son of God to save people like us But the good news of the gospel is Jesus was glad to give his life for us. So yes, we Reformed types should be far more humble far more compassionate far more uh, Welcoming than typically sometimes uh, in that Theological system, uh, sometimes, especially like you said, the those the early initiates into a reform worldview, perhaps should be caged for a while, and before they are let out into the public. And I say that very tongue in cheek, but the point is well made. All
0: right. So, as as we turn to a couple of scriptures here, we look at grace as the opposite of effort or merit i think you know the classic uh, ephesians 2 8 and 9 for by grace we are saved through faith and that's not of your own doing it is the gift of god it's not a result of works in fact then in, in romans 11 and, and verse 6 we're told it's it's if something is by grace it is no longer on the basics basis of works otherwise grace would no longer be grace so how do we uh i guess my question is thinking through this okay I am not saved by any work that I do. It's only by grace. And if grace is the opposite of works, how do I balance that out? Or is there even a balance? Because that's, that's, I guess that's our, my, at least my temptation is always to try to even things out, to not to go to one extreme. But it seems like in Scripture we're, we're told here this is not one of those areas where you need balance, but it, it, it's, it's grace and not works. Absolutely.
1: And some language, Kevin, that's been helpful to me to develop... As I've walked for years with many uh, recovering Pharisees or people hmm. that uh, either in that spectrum that um, were just so heavy burdened in legalism, uh, either those folk or folk coming from the opposite end of the spectrum, what sometimes historically is called antinomian or yeah. like easy believism, to, to both of us, here's some language I think that's helpful. The gospel of God's grace puts an end to all earning, but not all effort. The gospel puts an end to all merit, but not all muscle. And by that, I mean this, if we can begin to see that through God's grace, we serve our heavenly father from acceptance, not for acceptance, Hmm. then our works have absolutely zero, any connection to, uh, rewards in the sense of earning something, putting a bigger smile on God's face. I mean, the good news is, as soon as we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God of course hides our life in Christ and he loves us as much as he loves Jesus. He'll never love us more and he'll never love us less. And it's out of that good news that we offer the obedience of faith and love uh, instead of the obedience of guilt and fear or pride. Mm-hmm. So it, it is, you know, I don't like the word balance like you, because that sounds like we take two extremes and shake them up and come up with a happy medium I think it's rather listening to the voice of scripture, like in the book of Titus, when, you know, Paul writes in Titus, when God's grace uh, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live a righteous holy life as we long for the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so I, I love that paradigm of the joy of repentance, the joy of obedience based on our acceptance and our righteousness in Christ.
0: Now you hit on something I, I want to I explore a little more. Uh, normally we save our application sections at the end, and I, but I want to touch on that a little bit here uh, because it, it took me a while to get this concept in my. In fact, I'm st- I still struggle with it time to time. But the motivation for Christian the Christian life Or pleasing Christ is not merely guilt, because you know you've sat in services like me, I'm sure, where it's it's all based upon guilt and 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 you have to be doing this. You have to, and if you're not this, you know Christ died for you. What are you doing for Him? Type thing. Could you talk a little bit about that and and and, and just release us from that?
1: um, And we see this throughout the Scripture in terms of you know God wants us to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So even the summary that Jesus gave us of the entire Old Testament Revelation was it was always God's design and delight that we would know him and love him and live to his glory um, and, and not serve him from servile fear or out of a sense of self-centeredness. So, so yes, motivation, you know, the gospel of God's grace moves us from the motivation of shame, fear, guilt, or pride and, and and it and, and it teaches us because we are now presently fully and eternally accepted in Christ, we now live a life of uh, thanksgiving and praise and gratitude and offer God an obedience that honors Him, but does not um, that does not look to Him to you know, give us a bigger condo in the new heaven and new earth. In fact, we get freed from self-aggrandizement or self-advancement and we are principally far more concerned to honor God, bring Him glory uh, by how we think, live, choose, etc. So, um, yeah, it's a a radical reorientation of why we do what we do. Is it for the Lord or for ourselves and the freedom of knowing that our obedience of faith and love honors our fathers it's, it's our gratitude it's it's a, it's a glorious freer way to live life than any fear of what one our father thinks about us
0: so when people hear this 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 it almost sounds like a radical concept of grace yeah. because it does contradict a lot of uh, sometimes our background but the fear is okay well if you're just gonna live this this grace filled life then there is, there's no fear of God, and therefore I'm going to fall into sin pretty quickly. Or some would call this a hyper grace movement, and that you're you know you're you're not talking about God's judgment, you're not talking about God's wrath, you're just going to be okay with everything, and therefore people will not live for the Lord because you're just not emphasizing that at all.
1: Well, it is certainly possible, Kevin, as you not best know it's possible to abuse any of god's good gifts but the problem is never with god's grace itself but with understanding it Hmm. with applying it with responding to it that's why the little book of jude was written where you know they were as as jude a half brother of jesus like james was jude wrote his little epistle in, in response to those that were beginning to abuse grace but he did not go on to say you need to emphasize grace less, yeah. but rather you need to understand what God's grace actually is. It's this transformative calling, this gift of our God uh, that begins in our lives the process of making us more and more and more like Jesus. So I don't think we can over, ever over-emphasize grace. I think we can be irresponsible and not really helping believers become disciples into uh, grace is the foundation and the motivation the power for our not just our justification but also our sanctification but also the hope of our glorification so it's just a a, a better I think a a listening to the whole of Scripture Um, you know but but to me as a pastor for 40 years I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced now the issue is never emphasizing grace too much but not letting the grace of God be revealed through the scripture with the voice, the emphasis, and the power uh, that it absolutely brings with it throughout the testimony of the mm. scriptures.
0: So in terms of ap- further application, we've already touched on application uh, to some degree, but I, I think that the, the phrase that keeps coming to mind is from Martin Luther who uh, commended us to sin boldly. I think yeah, the, um, yes. the, in terms of application, I think we need to embrace our sin in the sense of not hiding it, Uh, in the sense of hate.
1: I think Luther, when he wrote that, of course, he was not in any way, shape, or form encouraging people to disregard the law of God, or the glory of God, or the honor of God. Basically, as I read Luther, what I hear him saying is two or three things. One, uh, quit quit pretending. Listen, quit, quit dumbing down the law of God. You need to understand... That you know um, that you are measured by the standard of perfection and so to sin boldly would mean be honest about the fact yeah. that your need is far greater than you ever rela- realized before and don't don't deny it um, bring to the Lord bring to your community faith your brokenness the reality of who you are and Kevin that's one of the great things about I think a, a gospel shaped church a gospel shaped ministry uh, it actually frees uh, uh, it frees us yeah. to be far more, far more honest about the fact that yes we are we are now no longer condemned for our sin but we are deeply convicted about our sin. Right. and It's a, it's a beautiful thing when an individual believer, a group of believers, or a church um, come alive to the no condemnation of our standing in Christ, but now surrendered to the convicting work of the holy spirit that is not about guilt or shame but about a deeper sense of the beauty of jesus yeah. and our calling to become like him uh, which is an operation of the gospel itself so um, yeah it's uh it requires consistently realizing that on both sides of the gospel uh there's a slippery slope you know right uh, there are those that will Default right back into legalism, performanceism, and there are those that will miss here grace. To me, now I'm free to act like a moral moron. So, faithful preaching and application of the gospel, I think the way Luther was seeking to do it, uh, is to the health uh, and to the maturing of the church, and for really creating, I think, the beauty of the gospel. It's far more attractive to non believers, people in the world than performantism, or even uh, what we might call on the opposite end of performantism, sloppy agape. Yeah. Uh, I mean, authenticity, honesty, vulnerability, uh, you know, people becoming alive to the grace of God who become more humble and, and more repentant and more neighbor-loving, it's, it's, you know, the gospel becomes very attractive when such a people are being transformed by grace.
0: Yeah, and if we're, and you said just, just you said it just right, liberating, freeing, because yeah. when, when you live in that life where it's, it's all about performance, or at least putting on a show, that's what it becomes. It comes putting on a show, and you're, we all struggle. We all struggle with sin. I, I, you know, First John one nine is pretty clear about that. First uh, John one yeah. anyway. Uh, if we say we're without, without sin, we're, we're lying to ourselves. Yeah. And so this allows us to be who we really are, and then experience God's forgiveness. And and you know, sin that is hidden is sin that is not dealt with, and that sin grows. Uh, yes. Just a couple, uh, you know. Some time ago, uh, I think we were all talking about some some famous, well-known preachers, uh, you know, advocates of, of, of a grace-filled life who, who had fallen. Yes. But you know, the reality is, I, I don't worry about that so much as others who fall every day. And we just don't know about it because yeah, because absolutely. they're hiding behind a mask, um, and there never and there's an inner turmoil there that I've seen a lot more frequently of those who, who have to somehow match the public persona with the private life and you know it's just well, it's, not it's there.
1: Fascinating, Kevin, along that line. The only time the phrase fallen from grace is used is in the book of Galatians. And Paul is actually lamenting that some of the believers in Galatia had lapsed back into performances of mm. legalism. So falling from grace was not falling into morality. But falling into this hiddenness, this dishonesty, this performanceism, going back to the law for our acceptance with God. Yeah. So, uh, And that's why I think in Luke 15, you know, the best way to preach the story of the father with those two sons is to talk about the prodigal sons rather than just one son. Because the son who stayed home in his self-righteousness, not seeing his own sin, was just as far away from the father. Yeah. Uh, through his pride and arrogance and performances as the son that ran away to the faraway country both needed what the father would freely give which is his grace his welcome his acceptance his radical love for equally needy people who sin in different ways
0: right we had a situation here at the school i teach we had a a student come forward and basically confess a sin that he had been struggling with and i mean he was very embarrassed about it he just didn't you know, But he needed help, and he finally came forward. And, and the amazing thing that happened was not just that, okay, he, he dealt with that sin, he experienced the uh, uh, true repentance and, and, and was able to embrace God's forgiveness and, and start seeing some progress made in that area. But I'll tell you the most amazing thing was I had five other students in my office later that day who said, you know what, I struggle with that same thing. So when we're open and honest about these things, you know... What
1: a freeing thing when confession, humility, true brokenness, vulnerability uh, are met with the grace of God as opposed to public shame. Because it does become the the domino effect of how I think renewal and even ultimately revival takes place. It's wonderful to see how, yeah, grace promotes that very thing you described rather than uh, promoting its opposite.
0: Yeah, public shame doesn't have the effect, I think, that people want it to have. Um, that one person is looked down upon, but then a dozen other sins are shoved under the carpet yeah. and not and dealt we, with. we
1: create these uh, wrong standards, you know. We, we create a hierarchy of this sin is more worthy of judgment than that. Sin. Yeah. When scriptures just do not uh, allow for such a hierarchy, you know, any falling short of the beauty the good, the truth, the beauty of the law of God is sin, whether it's on the self-righteous side or on the far more what we might consider to be the technicolor side. That's the consistent testimony of Scripture, and that's why Jesus in the Gospels actually publicly called out Phariseeism more than he did immorality. Mm. He was welcoming all kinds of broken sinners who were so aware of their need. You think in Luke 7 of the woman that's it's wetting tears at the feet of Jesus because she's been forgiven. Those who have been forgiven much love much. for Simon the Pharisee in that very setting was just so arrogant, both towards Jesus and this woman. And mm. time and time and time again, Jesus calls out the hardness of heart of those who do not know their need of grace, and therefore close the door in the face of others who would respond to the offer of free grace.
0: All right. Well, our, our time is slowly slipping away here, or fastly slipping away and so we want we usually end all of our uh podcasts with recommended resources for digging a little deeper and uh i want to recommend first your your book that has been a wonderful blessing to me and i think you alluded to it earlier my wife and i have used this as a devotional and it has been a huge source of of encouragement that's everyday prayers 365 days to a gospel centered faith and so let me first say thank you for this gift, I mean, it has been, as I said, a, a huge blessing to me. Can you tell our listeners yeah, thank what
1: you, could? Kevin. that's been a real joy. And as I continue to write prayers and rewrite old prayers, it's amazing. Just around mm. the world, I will hear from someone on most days just saying that you know that that one vehicle has proven to be a conduit to understand the gospel of mm. God's grace. And there have been, of course, many other books that you and I both know. You know, when I'm usually asked about helpful books in this area. Um, the the author Jerry Bridges offers yeah. some very practical, clear books. His book called "The Disciplines of Grace" mm. is a wonderful book. Um, you know uh, the writings of Sinclair Ferguson, who writes so clear, so powerfully about the beauty of God's grace and the theology of the gospel that really honors the full tes- all, all, all the testimony of Scripture. Uh, I mean, there are so many good authors. Um, what have been some of your books that have been most helpful to you in terms of your understanding of the theology of the gospel of God's grace? I'd love to hear from you as well.
0: Sure. You know, one of the books that early on – I grew up in a, a fundamentalist background, independent, fundamental Baptist. We're pretty proud of that. And a book someone gave me – not an author I, I, I normally would have read at that point uh, – The Grace Awakening by Chuck yeah. Swindoll uh, was, yes, was really an eye-opening book. It was one of the
1: first books that absolutely began to be a portal mm. for many men and women to begin to think about god's grace so i would agree that was a, that was a classic
0: yeah that was really a, a a game changer for me and that really began my my journey down that road um also you mentioned jerry bridges transforming grace um oh, that's wonderful. was, was it also in grace and
1: this one's yeah he, he was such a clear, clear, clear writer, and uh, those are great books.
0: So those are the books I would recommend, and uh, your book as well, I, and I know you've, you've written other books on this topic, um, even just, you know, Every Season Prayers, and... Um, well, and one
1: more I would mention, yeah. not, not to, uh, to the horn whatsoever, but my, of the, of the books I've written, my wife's favorite book I've written, was really kind of tells the story of my own major grace awakening it's, it's a book called objects have his affection coming alive to the compelling love of god and it really uh tells my story of even as a pastor through god's kindness coming to a place of brokenness and burnout that really freed me to see uh even a, a greater need of god's grace uh, that the Lord was so kind to help me with in my healing journey and so uh that's one book that you know um, I would put out there if anyone would care to explore more objects of his affection.
0: And we'll have links to those uh, books on our website. So, uh, Brother Smith, thank you so much for taking the time and, and for talking with us here today.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been a blast. I just feel like I've got a new brother in you, and just love your heart and the way the Lord is obviously giving you great joy and a great gift of communication, and uh, just a real honor to be with you in your family today, and hopefully we can do this again at some
0: point. Yeah, I hope you'll come back on the program another time.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin.
0: Thank you, and thank all of you for listening. So join us back next time, next week. We're actually going to be taking a break from our series. We're going to be talking about—this our Christmas episode. We'll be talking about Advent and what that means and uh, why we call it that and what that's all about. So if you ever had wondered, sometimes you grow up in church and you you hear words and you just never realize what they actually mean, well, tune in next week. So, until then, check out our website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org, and you can check us out on Twitter at Basic Biblecast. So, until then, have a great rest of your week.